0: Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and I've made my mind a sunless space.
1: You've been waiting to say that for so long, Anna.
0: <laughs> I have.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner. And Anna, aren't you tired of fighting with people who agree with you?
0: <laughs> you know, personally never. <laughs> 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 That's the best and, kind of you, fighting.
1: <laughs> you and Saw Guerrera, Anna. I mean, I swear to God.
0: Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of...
1: Foucaultian power.
0: And path goal theory. Today we'll be talking about Andor! Andor!
1: Oh, so good. We'll be
0: talking about so good. the second half of Andor.
1: Yes. be clear. For those of you who have not heard the first episode we did, we we did a previous episode involving episodes one through six, the first half of, of season one of Andor.
0: And that is how much we like this show. There is... Yeah. Only at one other show has gotten this kind of treatment, Dan, even close nope, to this
1: Nope, nope. And we're going to make an announcement a little bit later right, indicating just right. how much okay, we like the okay, show. Okay, yeah. okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it's available on Disney Plus and Hulu mm-hmm. and ABC. And we have a, a special episode. We'll tease. Become a patron. You can hear our special episode. Mm-hmm. We're also doing a Christmas episode. And then Dan has- A spacemas we- episode. spacemas episode. Or a, space,
1: or a Space Muka. You space know, if you muka. really want to go there. Yeah, yeah. Space the days. days.
0: I don't, you yes, can't make exactly. space holidays. Yeah. And then I think, have we actually picked out what we're doing next, Dan?
1: We, you know, like, Anna, I, we have a long list of things we were supposed to do, and we have not quite done everything. So, like, there's plenty of stuff we've got in the hopper that we can do. Okay. You know what we're not going to do? We're not doing Avatar. I will tell you that
0: much. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not doing Avatar. Victory is mine. Okay. You've you,
1: you've persuaded me on this. The Discord has spoken. We're definitely not doing an Avatar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. You're welcome. We have there's a ton of stuff coming out, but mm-hmm. I think we might owe it to ourselves to do a something that's written down.
1: You mean one of those book thingies? Yeah, yes, that, that, with the that's with a, the words. With the, the words and the pages. And yes, the pages. okay, that's a possibility. We will contemplate. We will go into executive committee session and we will decide.
0: And people have asked that I put out a debris field sort of catching up on, on all this. And I will. Oh, that's fair. As soon yes. as we have a schedule, I yes. will okay. put it out into the world. Because, Dan, guess what? Some people like reading ahead or, or watching ahead so that they already have seen the thing that we talk about when we talk about it.
1: And we appreciate that, Anna. I I do appreciate the patrons wanting to, and and even the non patrons wanting to keep up on on what we're going to be doing. There you Um, go. So we will, you
0: know. And we still take suggestions. A really good place to make the suggestions is in the Discord. If you don't know what we're talking about when we talk about the Discord, that is because it's only available to patrons.
1: Yep. We've got exclusivity here at Space the Nation. But if you want to become a patron, you can go to that worldwide webpage patreon.com
0: uh, slash space the nation
1: it's <laughs> www.patreon.com slash space the nation on um, the-
0: Bench-
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> i feel like bob dole so much i right now. was just thinking of bob dole man we're
0: old not as we old are. as bob dole
1: but no no
0: no old no. Yep. yeah we we really appreciate people become patrons you do get access to episodes early you can join the discord we have a monthly a u uh, a which mm-hmm. we do monthly promise
1: <laughs> usually the first saturday of every uh of every month and but you know not. occasionally it, it varies up
0: you know there's yes. going to be merch i swear i swear i swear there's going to be merch
1: and if we get to 250 patrons, which we're actually sort of creeping towards there, we will be doing a special uh, patrons-only episode on a topic chosen by you, the patrons.
0: Yes. And if you just want to, you know, chat with us in some way, we're both on social media. <laughs>
1: Yes, and what is a proliferating number of yeah. forms of social media.
0: <laughs> um,
1: it's, maybe at the end of this calendar year, we're going to not give our Twitter handles anymore because who knows how much longer it's going to be around.
0: But or until how much then, longer it'll be useful. Yes, exactly. Or how much or longer tolerable. we can use it in good conscience.
1: Right. All of this. Both of us are making hard decisions on this. But yeah. for the moment, I am at Dan Dresner. And she I'm at Anna Marie
0: Cox. At, and I am yes. at Anna Marie Cox on most of the things, even on TikTok, which I haven't actually used. But I also I, am on Mastodon at journa.host. Really me. I am me. Really, at really, really Dan Dresner me. at
1: Mastodon.sdf.org, I think. I, you know, yeah.
0: Dan, I, I had really a question it. for you about Mastodon. Can, we, can I ask you now?
1: Sure, but I'm not sure I'm going to have the answer. Go ahead.
0: The European Union is setting up its own Mastodon instance. Did I read that? Uh,
1: it's entirely possible. Mastodon is sort of a federated site, as I right. understand it. So, like, there's lots of little.
0: But you what, know, do you, like, what do you think of that?
1: I'm not crazy about it. I got to tell you the truth. Yeah. Uh, you know, the whole look. The advantage of social media, as we understand it, or at least let me put it this way: if you're thinking of Mastodon as a substitute for Twitter, the advantage of Twitter was that it was a focal point. It was that everyone could go to the same place. And share information, share, you know, talk with each other and so on and so forth. And the part about Mastodon that still confuses me a little bit is that because it's so federated in terms of multiple sites, maybe it becomes less hackable, but I'm not entirely sure it has the same experience. But that said, I will acknowledge that I haven't really tried Mastodon out yet, and so I will try to do so uh, over the winter break and figure it out.
0: I just thought it was interesting that that there is going to be like a political border in Mastodon.
1: It's not shocking to me. I mean, also, and bear in mind that in some ways, the EU will probably be the first jurisdiction that might block Twitter. Mm. Um, Mostly because Twitter is as near as I can figure out, not really in super compliance with uh, with the data privacy standard. And so that might be the EU gearing up to block Twitter. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there's clearly... Some issues there.
0: Right. Well, we'll we'll get on with stuff. I just saw that and was like, that's an interesting political question that won't come up otherwise. (laughs) So I want to ask Dan now. Uh, Dan, how are you?
1: I'm in need of a salad. There's no other way to put it. (laughs) You know, uh, we are are talking uh, a few days after Thanksgiving. I was hosting. I cooked up a storm it was all good food, but like I've got high on my own supply. There's no other way to put it, and and I need some vegetables and and you know, less stuffing, less less carbs, and more fresh leafy vegetables. How are you?
0: Well, I'm actually pretty good. I had mm-hmm. I hosted myself for Thanksgiving.
1: Excellent. You're good company on
0: them. Which turned out actually to be pretty fun. Molly kind of stole the show. I took some pictures and posted them on the social medias. And Exley was so well-behaved that he didn't get a lot of pictures. Whereas Molly was, like, jumping up onto the counter and putting herself in the roasting pan and, like, jumping onto the table and trying to, like, knock things over. So that was that was fun. And I did have a whole meal. I ordered a meal for four, <laughs> and yeah. I, I kept about half of it, and then I packed up the rest and took it to the Free Fridge program here in oh, Austin, um, which they were asking. Pe- people don't know, Free Fridge programs are really interesting. They're mutual aid organizations, and because they're not standardized and kind of just ad hoc, they'll accept leftovers. You don't have to do shelf-stable, and unopened whatever like if you just have leftovers Excellent. you can take them and how is your writing workshop going on Dan I'm so glad you asked yeah I have a writing workshop I have started my own business question mark mm. I'm a entrepreneur mini question marks <laughs>
1: <laughs> listeners I wish you could see Anna's face right now as she's saying these things <laughs>
0: If you go to annamariecox.com, you will see mm-hmm. that uh, you can take a writing sh- workshop with me. That's a, kind of a memoir workshop. It's designed for people that want to process an event or a turning point in their life. And then also, I have my own Patreon, oh, okay. which is patreon.com/slash/thirdstory. One word. A uh, third story is the name of my business, uh, which started out as a joke a long time ago, and I never used officially. That's the name of my LLC, so it's the name of my business now. And if you join my Patreon at $30 a month, that's the highest level, what you're paying for is access to my morning writing sessions. I'm hosting like oh, wow. a morning writing that's sprint. That's pretty cool. Excellent. Yeah, it's been great. I, I did one for November for National Novel Writing Month, and it was about 20 people, and I think almost all of them are going to continue because it was a pretty solid experience. And great. There's other stuff on the Patreon, like you can sign up just to like I do a monthly AMA and I'll have some writing prompts on a weekly. I'm very proud of my writing prompts. I'm proud of my prompts. That sounds funny. Those
1: are those are good. Those are good.
0: And yeah, so if you're looking to support me, I don't have a newsletter, never gonna have a newsletter fucking hate newsletters
1: Anna, I've, all right so if you're <laughs> going to talk about that i got to admit i do have a newsletter against anna's advice i started a Substack. uh it's called dresner's world <laughs> you know you're you're free to to read it uh it does feel like old-timey blogging again though so like that's actually been fun for me um and i do appreciate i'm
0: that. pro bringing back blogging i'm yep. anti yep. Substack. we understand yeah. All right, let's continue. The substack um, will come, Dan. I just hope you're prepared. I know.
1: I know, and All I'll right. be I'll be prepared for that. All but right. until should, then, listeners, yeah, we should move on probably. We should. We should. Yeah. I agree. So, why are we doing this, Anna? And I think the answer is is because it's just so fucking good. This show is so good in fact, Anna, that can can we announce it? Yes. I think okay, season 2, we will do this as an episode recap podcast. We are going to go through each episode one by one for season 2. That is how good We, we think are this turning show
0: this is. into an Andor recap podcast at least temporarily. Yes. Mm-hmm. The only show that has inspired us thusly since
1: the expanse Expanse,
0: which is what brought us to this show um as Mm -hmm. og listeners may know if you're not an og listener you may want to look at our back catalog (laughs) (laughs) it's true
1: that's how we started
0: we were an expanse recap podcast and we did great it was fun we loved it and we loved it so much that we evolved into what we're doing now i completely agree that andor deserves it i think it's not just the best sci-fi show on TV right now, I think it's one of the best shows on TV right now.
1: I am in agreement on that point. Absolutely. And
0: it's it's captivating, which I, yeah. I think that the thing about peak TV is it has sort of raised the bar on what mm-hmm. we expect from television, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also there's all these screens competing mm-hmm. for our attention. I watch Andor pretty much just watching Andor, you know, Maybe every once in a while I'm like, oh, I want to look that up because that intrigued me. <laughs> but it's – I think that's really – I mean I, it's sort of sad. It says something about us as much as it does the show, but it's captivating. I can't take my eyes off of it.
1: No, it's it, – let me put it this way. This, we talk a lot about bad, good shows or, or content or good, bad content. We're going to have a few critiques, but this is mostly good, good. Like, this is a show firing on all cylinders. Yeah. It's not just the acting. It's not just the writing. It's not just the directing. It's not just the, the set designs or the special effects. It's all of it. This is an incredibly – it's it's honestly just a joy to watch the craft at work here.
0: Yeah, it's a well-crafted show. It's what peak TV should be for, which is a – how long is it going to be? It's 20-something episodes?
1: Uh, it'll be twenty four episodes. Twenty four episodes. First, this is what- season one was twelve. Yeah, yeah.
0: This is what your millions and millions of dollars for twenty four episodes should look like. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And they put the quality on the screen like it's. And also, again, I cannot stress, Anna. Maybe we're overpraising. I don't think so. I'm wondering if this is partly because we've shifted from Butler Vember <laughs>
0: to <laughs> Antor. No, we, but I don't
1: think so. We really like the show before the first- we, Yeah.
0: Six episodes as well. Absolutely. Speaking of which. Yes. We need to tell our listeners, should they watch this before listening to our discussion of it?
1: So, again, part of the answer here, I think, is that there's two questions. The first is, is this good enough that we would recommend it to our listeners? And the answer is, yes, duh. For the love of God, watch this. It's really, really good. The second question is, are there plot twists that if you don't you know, if you find out about them via this podcast, it will ruin the show. And I think the answer there is no. Um, but I'm willing yeah, to be
0: – what do but you think, I, I, And I guess there's sometimes that I listen to critiques and even recaps of things that I do plan on seeing. Yeah. But I think that you'll like it more if you watch first. I also think – we, yeah. didn't, we didn't mention this, but I think you should listen to our recap of the first six episodes.
1: That I agree with, yes, yes. Um, be- we before do, you we'll, listen
0: to this So if you haven't listened to yeah. that Go ahead, pause, we'll be here Go listen to that, come back Excellent Welcome
1: back. Hey, welcome back yeah. And so now, uh, do we need to talk about the story behind the story In this case, Ana? Because we did do that in uh, Andor Part 1 On
0: the off chance that people have forgotten I will repeat that one of the reasons <laughs> this show is so good Is that Tony Gilroy hates Star Wars
1: Yeah <laughs> 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 He's very insistent on that he point. He really, he
0: does not shy about it. He nope. talks about it a fair amount that he has. Well, yep. hate hates. He has no respect for no. it. Yeah, that I was going to say I hate is, say. is a
1: strong term. I hate mean, it's not like term. he have,
0: what he What yeah. he makes very specific he, is that he doesn't have mm-hmm. respect for it as like a canon. True. Although I think
1: one of the things that's interesting, because I have read a little bit about this, is that it's also clear that like Gilroy at least can work with people who do like Star yes. Wars because there's a ton of Easter eggs yeah. in this show that Gilroy has no input in whatsoever because that would require him to know that they are Easter eggs. But he is totally fine with like the set design people
0: or others.
1: Or other writers,
0: other contributors. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I so it's not that he hates Star Wars and it's not even that he, I think he's indifferent to Star Wars and he recognizes that if there are Easter eggs, that's fine. It adds value to a very small select audience. But he doesn't care about that. And that's fine. It works It, it works well.
0: He approached this like artists should approach yeah. <laughs> IP, I think, which yes. is I have a story I want to tell. Right. How can I use these available characters or this available world to tell yeah. the story I want to tell? Not he, I need he to use this world to tell a story. What story can I tell? Yes. Yes. And Absolutely. as usual, I think it's safe to say anyone who's watched his stuff would know he's interested in. He's this sounds very odd, but he's interested in bureaucracy. He's interested in the <laughs> mechanics of human relationships. I think that's he's a better way to the, put it.
1: I think he's interested in. He's interested in the administrative state, yeah. And he's interested in mobilization against autocracy. Like, yeah. But, it, and he actually makes it incredibly compelling. I confess. This is my wheelhouse, Anna. Like, you know, if I was bored by it, then everyone would be bored by it. But based on the reactions I've seen from others who have watched this, clearly they find it compelling as
0: well. Well, it's because like the word bureaucracy has a bad rap and right. per- yeah. deservedly so perhaps. But bureaucracy is people like you don't yes. have bureaucracy yes. without people. And what we hate about bureaucracy is it depersonalizes Mm-hmm. People And that is sort of what he's interested in, right? Yeah. Is how do you remain a person in a world that is trying to take your personhood away from you?
1: But I would go further than that. It's not just about how do you be a person. How do you when be a good person? The, how, well, how to be a good person when the state is trying to or when bureaucracy yeah. is trying to strip your identity. It's also how do you be a good person or can you be a good person resisting that? Yeah. And in some ways, that's the best part about this show, which is it recognizes that even in the act of rebellion, there well, are that there's an
0: administrative state to resistance as well. That's yeah, that is actually yeah. also what he's interested in: is the yeah. mechanics of of rebellion, the mechanics rebellion, of resistance, exactly. yes. and how that also can depersonalize you and yeah. and make you do things that are aren't within your normal the normal radius of your moral compass they
1: permanently change you I think would be the way to put it yeah Yeah.
0: so that's just about it for story behind the story there's lots more this show has really caught on go out find out more many people writing many people have joined the chat we're gonna move on to Chekhov's what's it Dan we were both kind of (laughs) wrong about what the Chekhov's what's it would be <laughs> it's true
1: it's true so the first half in, in the first half i said you know Chekhov's Watson it was going to be Chekhov's sister because what kicks off the entire season is cassie and andor looking for a sister and you know what we that literally after the first 15 minutes of the first episode the sister never comes up again uh, um,
0: she's like referenced
1: she's referenced i guess in the backs in the flashbacks that's true so this is the one i guess plot spoiler that's worth saying i think it's chekhov's prison manufacturers because you know during the prison arc of this uh, second half of the season we see them building stuff and there was a lot of you know questions about what are they building what are they building and i kind of had a sneaking suspicion about what they were building. this was wasn't, a
0: fan theory from yeah, very early from on <laughs> yes and as it turns
1: <laughs> out what they were building were components for the death star so spoiler well done alert. yeah spoiler yeah exactly <laughs>
0: Well, my Chekhov's what's it, Dan, is Chekhov's proletarians. (laughs) They go off in the third act. I think we can agree.
1: That is true. Okay, fair point. Fair (laughs) point. Well done. Well, well pointed out. Okay. Yeah, I'll accept that. Absolutely.
0: But we should talk about these acts. Dan, it looks like you've organized our plot breakdown in the way that we did it for The Expanse. So this is a nice little piece (laughs) of nostalgia for me.
1: Yes, so rather than recount each of the episodes chronologically, I'm going to talk about what happens in one place, then another place, and then third place, and then we'll get to the finale. So we'll start with the events on Coruscant after the end of episode six. So when we last left off on Andor, Cassian had just assisted in a daring strike on Aldani and had left the rebels with his cut of the stolen payroll and gone on his merry way. And boy, does that Aldani raid lead to some complications. There's going to be an Imperial crackdown. Luthen wants this, hoping that an overreaction will trigger even more rebellion. He also apparently wants Cassian dead and sends a cleaned up Val to find him. Luthen also attempts to recruit Saw Gerrera to provide air cover for Anto Krieger's raid on the Spellhouse Imperial Power Station. One of Luthen's moles at ISB subsequently informs him that the Empire is setting a trap at Spellhouse. Luthen decides not to inform Krieger in order to make the Empire feel confident that it has the rebellion under control. He does warn off Saw, however. After evading an Imperial patrol with some very nifty tech, he heads to Ferex to make sure Cassian isn't captured by the ISB. Meanwhile, the post-Aldani Imperial crackdown puts Mon Mothma in peril, as the Empire's forensic accountants might detect who she's been funding with her charities. She enlists an old Chandelin friend.
0: Sorry, I kind of want to just break in to say, like, the forensic accountants for the Empire. Like... (laughs) I also, I want a spinoff series, I guess. I was just thinking, do you, you know,
1: it's like, is it like Star Wars Forensic Accountant CSI? Like, you know, yes,
0: yes. Forensic yeah. Star Wars, that would be it. Because the be account- what would be the series is Forensic Accounting, and then you no, just have I, it specialized in different universes.
1: Anna, I have the title for this this show. The show would be The Empire Audits Back. <laughs> I think this is great IP. We got to go to Disney Plus with this. Okay. All right. Sorry. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Mon Mothman enlists an old Chanderlin friend, Tay Colma, for assistance. Colma recommends that she cut a deal with gray market operator Davo Skulden. Just just a great name. I was going to say all these names.
0: I love them. Love
1: them. Davo demands an introduction between his 14-year-old son and her 13-year-old daughter, Leda. Mon is horrified by this first step towards a traditional Chanderlin marriage. Seeing Leia embrace those traditions, and with her back against the wall, however, she eventually agrees. She also accuses her husband of gambling again, knowing her imperial snitch will report this back to ISB, providing another explanation for her somewhat dubious accounting. Anna, there is a lot to dive into here, but mostly props to House of Cards showrunner uh, Beau Willimon for writing, honestly, some of the best Star Wars scripts ever. And I think the signature moment of this first season, hands down, is Luther's speech to his ISB mole, Lonnie Jung, about the cost of his choices. Which does lead to a somewhat weird question on my part, and this is almost like complaining about something that's too good, and I recognize that, but but I do think it's worth asking. Is this show too well written? And by that I mean, does this show sort of suffer from Aaron Sorkin syndrome, where like everyone is so incredibly eloquent— that like it it ceases to be believable.
0: I don't think so. But okay, good. I want to just weigh in on the fact that we had a House of Cards writer in here.
1: Yeah,
0: House of Cards was science fiction, <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that he's doing good work here. I think he's doing better work here because it's a oh more he's doing appropriate much better work here. Yeah, f- yeah, For exactly. the kinds of fantastical. <laughs> This is an excellent use of
1: his (laughs) talents. Yes, I agree. Yes, if
0: you're going to have the kind of fantastical plots that were on House of Cards, you should put them in space. That is yeah. what I'm saying. And we don't yeah. have any slutty journalists. That's good, too. Um,
1: <laughs> but also, like, I, that's, this isn't fair to Willemont because it's not j- the plots aren't outlandish in this show. And those speeches are amazing. That, that is true. That All of that is true.
0: I, I mainly am incredible. having, I mainly yeah. just had a big problem with House of Cards as.
1: I understand. And that's fair. Yes. Yes. yes
0: as a journalist.
1: <laughs> no, no, I know.
0: As a, yes. Yes. It totally get that. It was a very weird, it was a sci-fi depiction of journalism. Yes. I am hopeful that it doesn't I don't think it's too good now. I think right now Mm -hmm. the scene re-shooting... is no scene re I mean, it's tough because that monologue was such a capital M monologue.
1: Yeah.
0: It's a testament to... I always want to call him Stellar Skateboard.
1: No, Stellan (laughs) Skarsgård.
0: Stellan (laughs) Skarsgård. I can't do it. How did this get made? Damn you. It's a testament to his skill as an actor that he pulls it off right without it being acting you
1: yes. know?
0: like he's yes. very understated in the delivery but it is a capital right. m monologue it made me want yeah. to go back to high school few things do so that i could use it in a speech debate competition that <laughs> is-
1: <laughs> no it's it, it really it's a beautiful piece of writing he delivers it well yeah. and that last line where he just says everything and he shouts like that was his line where he, again no, to it's mostly
0: understated that, it's mostly deeply yeah. felt right it's not yes exactly it, there's a difference between emoting and feeling deeply
1: right you know? and like, he's he's yeah. feeling deeply he's not emoting yes, exactly. exactly
0: and yeah. that's the only big monologue we've gotten
1: oh i don't know about that well marva's think... marva's funeral oh, well, okay like well, Marva.
0: sorry 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 that's an actual speech, though. I'll forgive myself for, like, not including okay. that. Because that is a speech okay. that she gives.
1: Yeah, that's true. Okay, Right?
0: Yeah, it's not yeah, a yeah. monologue. It's, a,
1: it's supposed to be a speech. Is, it's is supposed to be a speech. Yeah, it's not, fair. like,
0: yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a kind of uh, a little bit of a stepping yeah. out of character and addressing the audience okay. in a way. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it's an actual address. She's supposed right. to be talking for a long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> I, I think that those moments, I'll at least say they've been few and far between, like these moments of, of meaning, right? I mean, there have, been a few. There, have been, there have been some. There have been moments that are pointed to by the yeah. script, by the camera, right. by the actors, the telling you, Pay attention to this. Right. And I want to
1: be clear. When I'm talking about like Sorkin moments, those aren't always bad. There are times where that's, in fact, entirely appropriate. And Sorkin's a decent writer. So, like, I don't, I don't I'm not trying to like, the problem is, is that if like a show becomes Well, they only all sound like things, you're in Sorkin. Exactly. That's the I issue. I do not and, think
0: that's happening.
1: Okay, good. Yeah. I think,
0: yeah. well, we have, we have Cyril's mom who doesn't oh, sound like true. any, well, sounds like no. a very particular kind of person. <laughs>
1: right.
0: Doesn't sound like anyone else on the show. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. But and also, like I was thinking, like Deidre Miro, for example, when she like talks to Bix, there's a, a cadence there, but it's different, and so it's fair. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, the question I have about this uh, section, what's going yes. on, of course, again, was we discussed this in the Discord a bit. Is do you think her husband is in on this now? Mon Mothman's husband. Yeah, Mon Mothman's husband. No, sorry, yeah. Mon
1: Mothman's husband is clueless. No, no, no. She did that on her own. And So,
0: see, the thing yeah. about that is, I could be true, but yeah. as people who have been married, me twice unsuccessfully, when you accuse someone of lying, let's say in any relationship, yes. right, and you know that you didn't do the thing you're accused of, uh-huh. like, that's real bad, and it's weird, <sighs>
1: So you're so. In other words, you're upset that Monmouthma is gaslighting her husband.
0: A little bit. I mean, and I'd also so, think the way he would re- you, the the way one responds to that can be an like he she could be just completely gaslighting him, and he goes off like I have in my life and been like, well, I d- I know I didn't do that, but maybe I did do that. I don't know. Maybe I did. So doesn't seem okay, like okay, the guy a, who's going to do that.
1: I have two responses to this. The first is is that my hunch is that Monmouthma's husband maybe didn't gamble too much and yet he oh. maybe he's not gambling but he's probably done some shady shit and so i'm sure like he's guilty about some things maybe mm. not that but other things and so therefore that might be why his response is i so like muted. that
0: i like that solution i like that because otherwise it felt really his reaction felt really genuine to me like- yeah
1: yeah no and it was yeah it was totally and it was fair he probably he hadn't done it yeah the other thing though and this is worth pointing out is that there were some who talked about, uh, in fact, one of my IR colleagues, Paul Musgrave, wrote a, a Substack post about this, arguing that, Substack. you know, really that the, the, the season one was about, in terms of the rebels, the contrast between Mon Mothma and Luthan, that mm. Luthan had clearly was willing to do anything to achieve, you know, the ends of the rebellion, whereas Mon Mothma, clearly, like, there were lines that she wouldn't cross. Well, she's, she's, she's going to be crossing She's crossed lines. them. That's my point. She is willing to, like, you know, Gaslight her husband. She is willing to potentially marry her daughter off. Yeah. Um, I don't think Although that. I, feel, that I, mean, I mean,
0: I feel less weird about that because her daughter's like, yeah, into you know, it. Among her daughter's other into it, yes. which is, yeah. I mean, there. She's like the Alex P. Keaton of like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <this> show.
1: <laughs> That's another possible <laughs> spinoff. We yeah. are racking up so many spinoff ideas, Anna. I mean, again, Disney Plus really needs to hire us, but um, <laughs> it's it's totally fair. Okay. The only thing I will say about this, Anna, is that. Mon Mothma is also sort of going down a dark path. And I think it'll be interesting in season two to see just how far she does go down that path.
0: I think she can't go too far since she winds up leading the rebellion.
1: Right. Right.
0: And She's it'll be interesting. Does she U-turn at some point? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, U-turn. I think that's the Possible question. Possible U-turn. Yeah. Sure.
1: There we go. We'll see. All right. Okay. All right. Let's get to the next section, Cassian's program. So, uh, Andor returns to Ferex to spirit Marva away, but she refuses, saying she wants to aid the resistance. Cassian says goodbye to Bix and Brasso and heads to Neomos, the Florida of this galaxy. He runs into some shore troopers while out strolling and, due to the harsher imperial sentencing laws triggered by the Aldani robbery, is sentenced to six years on Narkina 5 for literally being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Life on the penal colony on Narkina is pretty brutal, Anna, with unrelenting forced labor and everyone saying on program a lot. Andar wants to escape, but his floor boss, Kino Loy, wants to keep his head down and serve his time. That changes when Ulf, one of the old timers, strokes out days before he was supposed to be released. While treating him, the prisoner/doctor tells Kino and Cassian that floor two of Narkina Five was wiped out when they learned someone who had ostensibly been released was simply diverted to another floor. The guards killed all the prisoners on that level to cover up the mistake. Realizing they really are trapped, Kino agrees to, to help attempt an escape. It's a near-run thing, but with Kino's reluctantly inspiring leadership, Andor and his prison buddy Melchi make it out. Once back in Nemos Andor contacts Ferex and finds out that Marva has died and so heads back to that planet for her funeral. Anna, the prison arc, I think, was my favorite of the season. There is a shot in the first scene, like in the first episode that you see in Arkina 5, of Diego Luna just looking totally shell-shocked that I think said more than like 20 pages of dialogue could have. But let's talk about Kino Loy, played by Andy Serkis for a little bit. One of the saddest moments of the entire season is seeing all the prisoners escape, but Kino refusing to jump into the water, explaining that he can't swim. Anna, do you have any theories about what happened to it?
0: (laughs) I do, Dan. Thank you for asking. Dan and I spoke and texted about this because it's very important to me that Kino Loy survive. So here is my theory. Can't swim. Those guards' boots are clearly made of some kind of foam. (laughs) Floaties. Floaties. They're in. foot floaties. Right. And so he goes and gets a bunch of the guards' boots and, like, ties them together and makes a raft. And then he jumps in, has sufficient support. Other people, of course, they're like, oh, Kino needs help because they see him (laughs) and recognize him. He's and he did give an
1: inspiring speech. You gave know. an
0: inspiring speech. And they're like, we'll help you. And then they mm-hmm. all go. And he winds up, he's retired somewhere very peacefully. Maybe does a little resisting on the side, but I think he's done enough.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I will point out, by the way, this is another example where there's a big speech, but it is supposed to be a speech. So that's entirely fair.
0: Exactly. I was remembering that as well. It is supposed to be a yeah. speech and yeah. it is not as like speechy.
1: No, and again, by the way, Andy Serkis is amazing in this yeah, role. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he I, I he think... acts the shit out of this role, and like that speech is an example where he doesn't start off terribly eloquent, and he, you, it, it just builds slowly and slowly until you know it actually does inspire I, people.
0: And this is also a showcase for Diego Luna, who, yeah, yeah. I really liked mm-hmm. in Rogue One, but I don't think I saw the depths of his acting ability there Mm -hmm. like he's he's really good you
1: know he's good although this is a tricky role for him because the thing about this show is that like he's reacting there are flashier performances yeah he's he's reacting so there's you know there's kino Loy, there's luthan you know there's even bix where you know it's almost he's got to be and there's there's fiona shaw's marva where you know, it's almost like he's reacting to all these people. And it, by the way, it is a credit to Diego Luna that they're all so good in acting with him. So I think that, that does speak to his performance. Yeah, I,
0: right? what I was thinking about was we, – well, you point out his reaction when he first gets yeah. there. And this Which whole Which I, I section think that was his
1: best acting moment. Yeah. Is
0: interesting sort of anti-showcase for him I guess really because yeah. he is doing all the reacting but you see him doing calculations all the time. Like yeah. he doesn't have a ton of dialogue. In this he a lot of the most important plot points that he's a part of in this section are kind of silent you know like he's making decisions him watching he's watching he's like realizing things and that's not the most difficult thing an actor can do but to do it have to do it so often and not Feel like you're always getting the same look or you're always getting the same reaction yeah. or have it become kind of wooden. I think that's kind of impressive.
1: Honestly, again, I think Diego Luna's best uh, episode in this whole season is that first narquina 5 episode where he goes from being basically Cassian, you know, sort of yeah. rogue, you know, uh, thief and so on and so forth to being a prisoner. Mm-hmm. Like by the end of that episode, he it's not he's not like, he's not like a model prisoner, but he's clearly aware of what the rules are and has like been socialized into that prison. And it was a really depressing like ending for me. But like, again, that's a credit to, to Diego Luna for that performance.
0: I, I love that he makes Kino Loy the hero. Like he yeah. he's learning. I mean, I think that this will be something we probably discussed throughout the show. Which is the degree to which Cassian's experience as a thief and kind of quasi gang member, I would say, like a, you know, not gang, but coterie of thieves, like he's, yeah, has a thieving scoundrel, 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 even. scoundrel. <laughs> yes, <laughs> how much of that he's using to become a better, you know, resister mm. and how much he's learning on the job, as it were.
1: Would you almost say it's like? I mean, it's not quite the same character, but it's almost like Amos Burton, like,
0: not quite the same character. But I see no. where you're going, and Do you I see where I, I'm going with that. I, no. I think it is true that it's a mix because, like with Amos, it's a mix of things, right? Like, yeah, there yeah, are things obviously. about Castian's experience as a scoundrel that are serve him well, right, in this process of becoming of coming to support the the resistance. But there's also things he's learning about himself and about other people and about how to relate Mm -hmm. to other people.
1: And I'm not going to lie. I think one of the most pleasant aspects of watching the show was when I saw the interview with Andy Serkis and texted it to you. You know, to confirm – because, like, I, I, you had a very strong stake in Kino Loy living. And in Andy Circus's mind, he was asked this. I think it was an interview for Entertainment Weekly. He says, oh, no, no. Kino definitely lived. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, even – I did see a, another interview with Tony Gilroy where even Tony Gilroy, who is definitely someone who does not like – He will kill service, people.
0: He will kill off Yeah, characters. he will
1: totally kill people. But Gilroy said, we don't know.
0: Like, yeah. Like, he, he, oh. he
1: was vague about it. Yeah.
0: And I thought – dan the other reason why you were so tickled to send that article to me (laughs) is that andy circus has headcanon (laughs) about kino loy in which Uh dan
1: he was a you know manager on the factory line on i mean like he was he was a shop steward i believe actually he actually says
0: he was a shop steward shop
1: steward and i remember reading that (laughs) and thinking oh, somewhere is feeling a disturbance in the force and it's a really good disturbance.
0: It's like a ripple in the force. It's yes, like, it's, that's, exactly. a, that's a good version of a disturbance. It's like a little yes. like tingle. Yes. It's a tingle Positive. In the <laughs>
1: You're feeling a force tingle, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I am so glad. I, you know, fan service in Star Wars universe can be kind of gross, but part of me wants Kino Lloyd to just pop his head up somewhere. Okay, also, but it's, it's of course, complicated because he's also Snoke, Andy Serkis' is yes. Snoke.
1: And, and, and Andy Serkis, apparently, when he was approached to, to take this role, said he was concerned that, like, you know, Star Wars fans would be confused precisely because he did voice Snoke. But, like, frankly, any fan that is confused by and, that.
0: You're confused by that. You, you have you're, other you, problems. You have, you have other <laughs> issues
1: is all I'm going to say. Like, that is, that is not high on your list or it should not be high on your list.
0: All right, All we right. should move Let's,
1: along. We should. Let's go on to the next arc. Strange things are afoot at the ISB. The raid on Aldani leads to more draconian security laws. This enables ISB supervisor Deidre Miro to start nosing around outside her purview. When challenged by Supervisor Blevin at a staff meeting, she argues that they have data suggesting a more sophisticated rebel effort to procure imperial tech passing through Ferex. She wants to find out the identity of Axis, the central rebel organizer who we know to be Luthan. Her boss, Partigaz, backs her. She starts her investigation by talking to Cyril Karn, now ensconced in the Imperial Bureau of Standards. Taken with Miro's professionalism, Karn starts some light stalking of Deidre. I don't know how else to say, describe it. This that. is
0: actually, this is my least favorite thing that happens. Yeah, I, yeah it's a little weird. very uncomfortable, uncomfortable would love to know how many women worked on the script.
1: Let <laughs> <laughs> me this way. This, it wasn't so much the stalking. I, I mean, it's not like I approve of the stalking on it. It was more that I couldn't figure out why, like, you know, and, and you know, it's almost like he's an organizational fetishist. I don't know how to put that. But cl- also
0: clearly a fetishist. That's what's. Yes. I mean, you could do yeah. that, but it just feels terrible. And it also yeah. feels kind of out of left field. Like, yeah. Yes. We know he loves order. We right. know he loves organization. It's that what I have to assume is intentionally sexual kind of undertone to it. It
1: very much is. Like, there is no is denying surprising. what Karn like, wants. Yeah. yeah.
0: What I would have seen as a natural extension of his character is to continue kind of the Dwight Schrute of, mm. you know, the Empire kind of thing where he yeah. just. <laughs> be insistent on wanting to be useful and be an uh overly informed like uh, and solicitous unsoli- yeah. yeah but to to give it that undertone of sexual of, of I don't want to say sexual tension because I don't think Deirdre's having any of that
1: <laughs> well at that point well at that let's point let's, let's con- it, yeah. well
0: yeah grossness oh so much yeah. grossness anyway <laughs> yeah let's continue, continue. Uh, oh- <laughs>
1: Authorized with full surveillance and tech capabilities, Miro heads to Ferex and starts interrogating the locals, including Bix. She also puts a watch on Marva's house, presuming Andor might return. Rebels Cinta and Val are also watching Marva's house. After Marva dies, Miro orders the local Imperial office to allow the daughters of Ferex to use Rick's Road, the main thoroughfare, for the funeral march. Miro hopes to catch Andor. Cyril Carn, informed by his former subordinate that Andor's mom has passed, also heads out to Ferex. Anna, I know I'm not a typical viewer, I, I, I recognize that I'm a little weird, but I really do think it's a credit to Andor that I even thought the ISB staff meeting scenes were fucking awesome. Like, I love the scene where, like, Miro is trying to request, like, the full surveillance package. It was just wonderful. And I found myself drawn in by Miro's competency, which, of course, makes her all the more horrifying when she starts torturing Bix. Because that is the scene where she really, like, her full malevolence comes out. I am, as we just said, still trying to wrap my head around Cyril Karn's character. And, like, even if he's obsessed with Deidre, why does he go to Ferex? I don't quite understand that.
0: Well, see, I thought to catch Cassian,
1: right? Because he has no idea that Deidre there, right? Like that would be right. There, there would be no way he would know that. Okay, yeah. yeah.
0: And I, I wish they had just leaned ever harder into his obsession with Cassian. Yes, not his. That obsession would have made more sense, Deidre. Right, like, and
1: you could like in episode seven. He's clearly obsessed with Cassian, but like it's somehow I don't know. Is it called transference? Yeah. In, in psych- like it's, it's like somehow like he gets much more obsessed with Deidre after that, and it's weird. Yeah. All right, let's close with the Ferrex climax. That does sound dirty, actually. <laughs> so everyone and their mother is on Ferrex for Marvis' funeral. Cassian meets up with Brasso and learns that Bix is imprisoned. He also sees Luthan in the crowd. The ISB thinks they've laid a trap to take Andor alive, and the rebels think they're set to kill Andor, but the locals all have other ideas. The funeral march for Marva is hours earlier than expected and comes from all directions and is definitely way more than 40 people, which is what they were authorized to do. B2 plays a recording of Marva's goodbye speech, telling Ferex they can no longer sit on the sidelines. The Imperial forces try to contain the crowd, but it doesn't work. As violence breaks out, a local uses an IED and all hell breaks loose. Sinta kills the chief ISB spy and she and Vel hightail it out of there. Cyril saves Deidre from the attack, and then some weird shit <laughs> staring between the two of them happens. We'll get to that in a little bit. Cassian frees Bix and meets up with B2 and Brasso in the shipyard, getting them off-world. Luthen seems moved, legitimately, by the uprising on Ferex. Returning to his ship, he finds Cassian waiting for him. Knowing that Luthen was there to kill him, Cassian puts down his weapon and gives him the choice of killing him or taking him in. I bet I know which choice Luthen makes. (laughs) Uh, I do want to say this last episode. Yes, spoiler alert! I think he's gonna live. You know, I I, I don't know why. I I got a good feeling about it. Doesn't
0: even put down the blaster. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. that's true.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. It's not even fake suspenseful. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, not only do we know he he survives to make another movie, but even within the but yeah. there's going to be well, season two. Within, yes, with, exactly. Even within that episode, it's clear he's not going to shoot him. So yeah.
1: So a few things about this last episode. Um, it, first of all, I really did think it was a fantastic slow burn. I mean, most of this sep- like from the moment the funeral march starts – like, it just keeps building and building and building. It's incredibly well done. The tensions are ratcheted up slowly over the course of the hour. And I really did like the way they interlaced Marva's speech with, you know, Nemec reading from his manifesto. And I, I did have an awe-like moment when I heard Nemec's voice, because, like, he dies in the first half of the season, and I know you'd love that character. A few things that I'm not exactly sure quite hit me wrong, but just, like, I wasn't I was a little surprised by. First... Let's talk a little bit now about the Deidre Miro Cyril it's thing because so that's just fucking it's so weird.
0: Gross. It's such a wrong <laughs> step. It's like one of the only wrong steps in the whole fucking like you know twelve hours a- of show. Mm-hmm. And it, I know a bunch of people commented on it. It's if you haven't seen it, there's this like scene where Cyril saves Deidre, which even that I'm like I don't quite whatever fine. Yeah, and then they have this like meet-cute moment. <laughs> like, it's not- Where, you know, I understand, I mean, we all know from speed that if you undergo intense situations, sometimes there's <laughs> some sexual attraction. Like, you, you, if you just almost died, sometimes you want to fuck. But these two people are not normal people, and they're both... In, in a way, like, part of their character is that they're so uptight, which means, I mean, I guess that means they'd be even more susceptible to that sensation, but Deirdre, no. I just, like, she, the actress who plays her, I think, has the less kind of, you know, horny response, and I... No,
1: she definitely has the less horny response. But she's – look at it this way. It is clear in that scene that she is moved yeah, by what Yeah, and Cyril's I just done, don't see her being that
0: moved yeah. by it. I mean she's like hot shit, you know? <laughs> like she would ex- – I, I could see her being angry she was safe. Like she, I could have done that myself, you know? Like
1: – But maybe she would – I mean she – I I don't know. That was played that, – that scene was played in such a way that you made it seem like she actually was legitimately surprised. Yeah. Anyway, it's um, gross. But, it's, it's just very, know, very
0: gross. But, it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it for any of them at all. I don't
1: hate it, but like it's going to be. W- I hope that is not a thing. I hope they hear the fans <laughs> somewhere the in the
0: galaxy, the yeah. sound of a thousand <laughs> fans saying no.
1: Saying, <laughs> saying ew, ew, like that. Yes. <laughs> The other thing I was legitimately surprised by, however, was that Luthan survived this season because he really did seem to be the character most likely to die because of dubious moral choices. I really did assume he was going to buy it in the last I, episode. I surprised? think he
0: lives to be tortured some more. Not literally tortured some more, although maybe. But, but yeah. uh, I think he's going to be that character for a while that's doing the ugly yeah. stuff behind the scenes. I thought mm-hmm. his reaction to what happened on Ferex was fascinating. Yeah, And again... Props to Stellan. Yep. Skateboard. Stel-
1: yeah, Stellan Skarsgård. Skarsgård.
0: <laughs> Thanks to Stellan Skarsgård. He, he, he doesn't a say face, a single word. He does a lot of work. He does a lot of work. Yeah,
1: like, he literally has not a word of dialogue about this. It's just him mm-hmm. observing. And it, again, it's it's
0: Well, he's moved work. by it. And I think he yeah. realizes that he's not going to have the excuse of trying to make the revolution happen for being such a dick that much longer. Yeah. Like. His t- his usefulness will be a- outlived by the which, revolution, which is what he wants, but also I'm that sure means he has, he has, has to live in that sunless that. space. That's not yes. He's not striving for something anymore and able to be like, I'm doing all these awful things for a purpose. When it comes about, then he has to just live with the awful things that he did.
1: I wonder if season two is about him pursuing riskier and riskier actions because essentially his work is done and so he knows that he can – you know, take riskier choices. It'll be interesting to see. If, but the if, reason he's taking riskier
0: that. choices is to provoke the revolution or resistance. So...
1: Right. But with the revolution now, like, you know, more fully in swing, as you say, he might be someone who is not going to be comfortable in a larger rebel alliance. It'll oh. be fascinating to see if, you know, he if he feels like I he's still in a sunless space. And so as a result, he winds up, you know, right. at least going out in a sort of kamikaze. Act. It'll be fascinating.
0: I was a little disappointed that, I mean, I like Bix as a character. And mm-hmm. sh- she's, you know, there are strong women on the show. I liked her when she, she tortured and broken. Right. That's and she plays bad. that very well, I will and she say. she plays it, that it very was, well. It was tough to say. Yeah, 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 I almost, I was like, who's he going to kill? He hasn't really, I mean, besides Marva. Like, I mean, I guess he killed some people early on, like Nimic. But I yeah. thought we might get some deaths in the, no, there was
1: no one who died, which was no fascinating, one. Be, no
0: actually. one yeah. like
1: there was one of the 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 Ferrets, like not not Brasso, but like there was someone else. I think with like
0: the the so I thought we'd like the I thought at very least we might see B two emo give his uh, life for the resistance. Nope, but nope, he lives on. he's chugging along. You need a cute
1: droid. I mean, again, as, we, as I said in, in, when we talked about the first half of this, even Tony Gilroy is not immune from a cute droid.
0: And as I said, I like to think that his name is a kind of <laughs> commentary on the need for cute droids. Yes. We're, get, we're moving along, which yeah. means I have to ask you something.
1: Do you? Go ahead, Anna.
0: Is there IR in Andor?
1: Ana, the very worst thing this show can do right now is bore me. <laughs> but fortunately, the IR in this show is damn interesting. And there is a lot of it. So yes, yes, there is a ton of IR in this
0: Buckle show. Buckle in, everyone. Yes, I
1: apologize to, to listeners, but I'm going to geek out right now. So we did cover the politics of Empire, I think, in part one. Uh, and I think it's it it comes out a lot in part one. I think the second half of the season had not one, not two, but three Primo pieces of IR content. The first is the sort of cat and mouse game of intelligence and counterintelligence, which is both the ISB and the rebels recognize that they can't always betray what they know at times. And so there are times where even if you have good actionable intelligence, you can't act on it because if you act on it, you are burning your source. And so this is why Luthen is willing to let Antor Krieger die in the first place, while denying responsibility for Aldani to Saw Gerrera. I actually love that conversation between the two of them, where they're like both, you know, where he's like desperately trying to say, oh, you must have done it, Saw. There's no way I would have done it. In that sense, it beats even Star Trek Deep Space Nine in talking about how information flows in a resistance, which is it's all compartmentalized. Um, and so that's why and his Axis is so important. The second piece of IR is the politics of prisons. And you know, just sort of confinement in general. And again, I I don't normally say, oh, this reminds me of Foucault's Discipline and Punish. But Discipline and Punish is all about the disciplining of bodies, and you get that tactile sense of the disciplining of bodies throughout the entire prison art. All the on-program stuff, all of the sort of you know the fact that they're barefoot, literally even just the sort of physical movement of the actors as they're doing the mach- you know, the assembly line construction. It's all amazing and, and and you know really well done. The most important piece of IR in this uh, second half is the politics of popular protest. Sometimes it can seem as though an autocracy has things well in hand, that populations are quiescent. But Nemec was right when he wrote in his manifesto that tyranny requires constant effort and that one single thing can break the siege. Um, so the idea that there might be tipping point dynamics, the idea that There might be a restive population, but they don't know if everyone else is restive. But then there's some sort of spark, there's some sort of mistake, and that actually causes people to go in the streets. Um, The final episode makes that clear. And they were building to that. Like, one of the the other good uh, conversations I liked, as I said before, was between Saw Gerrera and Luthan, where Saw is, like, listing all the various elements of the Rebel Alliance. And it's funny, even from the original Star Wars, they talk about the Rebel Alliance. But, like, this is a show that takes the word alliance seriously because it's very clear these Rebels are very disparate groups. I think... Saw at one point says, you know, someone is Anto is a separatist, then there's neo-Republicans, then there's, you know, other sorts of groups. I like the way that uh, that sort of was discussed. But also when it comes to sort of uprisings, as we see on Ferex, the idea that the empire might have things well in hand right up until the moment that they don't is because very often social mobilization is a sort of instantaneous switch in equilibria that you don't even know. And in some ways, you know, there's research on this showing that like, the, the sizable protests in Dresden, East Germany that led to the fall of East Germany there. Another example of of sort of mass mobilization. Anna, you have a question?
0: And the prison uh, arc also is, is pretty important in that. Um, it makes me think of a couple things, which is, uh, you know, we enslave ourselves more than tyrannical powers Mm. enslave us. I mean, we are enslaved by tyrannical powers, but they, they count on us believing that we are enslaved believing that we have no recourse and if you can convince people that they mm-hmm. do that is where the power comes from because in almost all those situations and people just remember this today there are more of us than them yeah. and that is what becomes clear in the prison ultimately it's just fucking math mm-hmm. right yeah. like there are more of us than them and, and and if
1: all of us react in the exact same way at the exact same time even the most effective, you know, coercive apparatus isn't necessarily going to be able to, to do anything. And I would also, by the way, this this show unconsciously demonstrates why the Star Wars saga to date has been so weak on politics in the past. Because most of the Star Wars shows we've seen so far, and most of the Star Wars movies, it's all about the Jedi. And indeed, like, you know, there's this very famous speech that Yoda gives in Empire about, you know, there is no, you know, there is do, there is no try.
0: I hate that.
1: I know. But in – and and – Perhaps appropriate for the Jedi, but in ordinary politics, <laughs> in ordinary politics, the politics of mobilization, it is all about the try. And so, you know, in some ways, this demonstrates that rebellions or you know revolutions require both leadership, even Jedi, but it also requires movement from below.
0: Yes, and that I love this sort of idea that that politics is all about the try. Yeah. Right. It's not about the, the do eventually happens, right. but actually the, that's that's, you know, that's the exception. Mm-hmm. Like most of politics, it's about organizing yeah. and mobilizing yeah. to the point where something can be. Right. Done. And it can
1: be times where it seems like that organization and mobilization isn't going to pay off. It's not going to pay off. It's not going to pay off. And it doesn't pay off until it actually does pay off. Um, and that's the weird thing about politics sometimes is that, you know, it eventually does work. So, Anna, I, I have a question for you now. Yes, Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this show?
0: Dan, how long we hang on, how far we get, how many of us make it out, all of that is now up to the strength of this show's critique of capitalism. <laughs> Boom. And it's okay. It's It's there. I will de- defer to a tweet that our patron Jim Werbel posted to the Discord, mm-hmm. which kind of summarizes what I could say. The thing I love about Andor is it dragged the deeply appropriative and misapprehended Eastern philosophy of the Jedi out behind the woodshed and replaced it with mutual <laughs> aid, respect for people's traditions and culture, and a faith in the importance of small acts of resistance. Mm-hmm. And that is all true. I think that covers the show's general sensibility pretty well. Mm-hmm. And all of those things are revolutionary, they are rebellious, they are resistance driven, they are not necessarily Mm anti-capitalist. I think one of the things that this show makes me think about is the difference between resistance to a particular form of tyranny and truly like breaking the bonds of capital and having like a class revolution, right? (laughs) We are living in a good example. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Of how a very important and idealistic Mm. rebellion and revolution can wind up still being oppressive and repressive in many ways. And Dan, I don't get a chance to often just like directly quote Marx on this (laughs) podcast. (laughs) But But I, I was inspired to look back up. Marx was not a fan of the American Revolution. He sought for. I mean, again, it's a bourgeois
1: revolution for, for Marx. It's a bourgeois yeah, revolution. No,
0: no, no. We'll, well, there's a there's a lot to discuss. The ideas there mm-hmm. that still animate us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He was super into the Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> way into it.
1: Oh, if there was social media and Marx tweeting about the Civil War. That would have been <laughs> oh my amazing.
0: god. He would have had a blog oh, yeah. about the Civil yeah, War. Totally, totally. He would have like live tweeted oh, yeah. it. He just he wrote about it for several different publications. I think you are right. He wrote for the New York Herald. Mm-hmm. He also wrote for several European publications. Mm-hmm. Basically just sort of uh, writing columns about it. And I would like to read you his description of Abraham Lincoln. Okay. <laughs> this plebeian, without intellectual brilliance, without particularly outstanding character, without exceptional importance, an average person of goodwill was placed at the top of the interplay of forces of universal suffrage, unaware of the great issues at stake. The new world has never achieved a greater triumph than by this demonstration that, given its political and social organization, ordinary people of goodwill can accomplish feats which only heroes could accomplish in the old world. Dan, who does that sound like to you? Not Lincoln,
1: but it does sound like Cassian Andor.
0: And you're, okay, I just he, want to point out
1: Marx was I'm wrong about Lincoln. I'm sorry. He completely
0: buys Lincoln's self-made myth here. <laughs> like, Marx was many things. He was not cynical <laughs> <laughs> about Lincoln, at least. Okay.
1: But definitely uh, sounds like about- Cassian. That's a fair
0: point. Yeah, yeah, it definitely sounds like Cassian. He and he he completely bought into the idea that Lincoln, the the myth that Lincoln himself proposed, right? right? But he belie- he believed in that myth, and I do think he, that sounds like Cassian. I think I I think that that's true too in this in the Rebel Alliance that there are working class people that are that are rising to the top of it, mm-hmm. right? And also very important is that. Marx really fell in love with the Civil War when they started giving black people guns. <laughs> that would, for him, which it's true, yeah, like, he was a no. big fan of John Brown, okay. and he saw that as, like, the truly pivotal moment, and that that would upset the caste system in America, and that there would be the first half, which is the Civil War, a constitutional revolution, and then there would be the true revolution, like, the class revolution, Right. Mm-hmm. And that the Civil War would expose the false division between black slaves and the white working class, that that, that it would give a common cause to working people. As he wrote in the Communist Manifesto, labor in white skin cannot emancipate itself where it is branded in black skin. However, a new life immediately rose after the death of slavery. He's speaking post-Civil War. The first fruit of the American Civil War was the eight hours agitation. He is not wrong mm-hmm. that that is when the eight-hour work uh, day movement started. His people with a mind to history might recognize that it was not until seventy years later, mm-hmm. <laughs> well into the twentieth century, that that really got codified, mm-hmm. sort of left behind. But other ways, he was totally right. Civil war, you know, launched a, a whole deconstruction of class. And now we live in a worker's paradise. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, it's beautiful what he was thinking, right? And I can see how he thought that. And I, perhaps if Reconstruction had really been followed through on, the world would look very different. It would look very different. There's no question. I guess what I'm trying to say <laughs> is that while the... Resistance on Ferrex and, and what happens on Ferrex the riot the that uprising, occurs there yeah. the uprising let's call it yes thank you Dan the uprising warmed my little anarchist heart I the rebellion is not does not look like the Civil War obviously it's a very different it it's a very different beast it it, it in fact has a, a monarchist <laughs> wing of some kind. <laughs> Uh, and, of course, it's being funded by people like Mon Mothma. Mm-hmm. We never really get to what happens after everything ends, do we? Like,
1: Well, I believe there were three other movies made, but we don't need to talk about them at all.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, like, so the Re- Rebels win. Right. And then...
1: I don't, I, from The Force Awakens, we know there's, like, a republic and then there's, like, a a, a separate thing. It was very confusing. J.J. Abrams did not— It's very
0: confusing. Yeah. And it's and it's also clearly not, like, people are free. Wait, 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 know, it's the anti Tony
1: Gilroy. Like, there was no thought given to what the post-imperial order would look like. That would be a safe statement. Yeah. Yes.
0: So, yeah, very inspiring on many levels. Uh did make me think about how— meet the new boss, same as the old boss, is often the story of revolutions. So. Interesting.
1: Okay. Oh, wait, what's
0: that sound? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. I put a lot of
1: work I'm sorry. That, no, 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 no. Like, I, how do I put this? It... Actually, all right, I want to push back on one thing, because the one thing that I was struck by that you didn't mention was in Marva's funeral speech, one of the things she states out loud is that the problem on Ferex was that Ferex was willing to profit off the umpire. That Ferrex had been the sort of way station, clearly, for a lot of assembly lines. Ferrex was an important part of the galactic supply chain, as it were. Um, and yeah. her argument was, we have allowed ourselves to take that profit, but look who is look how we are profiting, and we can no longer do that. That is, I agree. That is, like you know that, and that's. That is not just a bourgeois revolution. I guess listeners,
0: I am vigorously nodding my head. I think what happens on Ferrex is actually is a beautiful thing, and I I agree with her speech. And I heard that, and I should have mentioned it specifically. I think what I was trying to say is like I almost sort of separate out Ferrex. Okay. From. The larger story of the Rebel Alliance. I
1: think we need to see how season two is going to play out in that sense. I think that's that's the 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 fair way to put it. Um,
0: Good point. It's just, I mean, there are a lot of rich people involved in the Rebel Alliance. I'm suspicious of them.
1: (laughs) They they could be traitors to their class, Anna. You know, you never know. I'm just saying
0: they could be. But it's just again, sort of the point for me. Although everything she said is, I again like. I, you know, raise my fist mm-hmm. in solidarity. It seems like that is just one part of a larger story that doesn't necessarily serve working class very and well, and doesn't necessarily—that's
1: entirely possible.
0: Yeah, like have a critique of capitalism built into no, it. No, I, 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 whereas hers did. Like yeah. hers, her her message has a critique of capitalism built into mm-hmm. it. Yeah, right. I agree. I'm not sure if that's the rest of the show or the rest of the Rebellion, but I will be interested to see. I will see. be
1: intrigued to see in season two.
0: Interesting. Dan, <laughs> you can push back any time. You don't just have to like go interesting. Yes, that's fair. Oh, what? It's questions from the Discord. It's questions from the Discord. Yeah. Questions from the Discord.
1: Discordant notes.
0: Uh, Discordant notes. That's what we call this segment.
1: Anna, do you want to ask the first question?
0: Sure. This is from Fetch. Mm-hmm. How much of the show's success is intrinsic to it being a Star Wars?
1: So this is interesting. I'm going to take a minority viewpoint on this. I think a lot of a lot of reviews of the show have basically said that, like, you don't need to know anything about Star Wars. you know, it's 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 a great show on its own. And I largely agree with that. But I think in some ways, the fact that it is part of the Star Wars universe, makes the storytelling a little bit easier because you know everyone knows what the silver sort of overarching archetypes types of the show are and in some ways because it gets to explore the nooks and crannies of that i think the 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 fact that it's part of a, a larger canon i think enhances the show i guess would be the way to put it what would you say Anna?
0: i would say that star wars at this point is almost like american history <laughs> like exactly yes it's like setting something during World War Two yeah. or the Civil War. Like, you are drawing on... It, it, I mean, Disney would never want us to think of it as, uh, you know, public domain IP. <laughs> no, no, they would not. <laughs> but it almost might as well be. I was just watching a YouTube video. Uh, Jenny Nicholson, if anyone hasn't watched her stuff, she's a very amusing YouTuber. She kind of goes down rabbit holes about various internet things. But... She was talking about how she's never seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh. And she kind of does this little monologue about how her audience specifically will probably think very badly yeah. of her. <laughs> but she points out it, it by the time she was born it had been out for many years, which you and I can be like, yeah. oh, you know, and that it's so thoroughly embedded in like nerd culture right. that she
1: knows all she's never bits.
0: felt the need yeah. to see it. And I, I feel like Star Wars is a little bit like that. I, I don't think – if you have sort of a general understanding of the Star right. Wars,
1: <laughs> exactly,
0: you will be able to enjoy this show. Yes. Will you enjoy it more if you have seen – well, see, there's the cost of seeing the bad movies. See? <laughs> I don't think you need
1: to see the bad movies. I think to, to really enjoy this right. film, I think if you've seen Rogue One – that that could very well be it. I mean, I think maybe also the original and if trilogy. You have yeah.
0: any affection at all for the original exactly. trilogy.
1: Exactly. I think that's all. You don't need to see any of the other films in any way and, no. or watch any of the other shows no. for that matter. So, yeah.
0: Although because of my weird my new YouTube habit, like I know there are just easter eggs like Right, there are easter egg galore everywhere the, that have to do with like the books and the and the animated shows. Right, but the, the strength
1: and, of this show is that you don't need to know any of that and you're yeah. still going to enjoy yeah. it. All right. Uh, Jim Rubel asks, how did the prison signing system develop?
0: That's a good question. I don't know. Trial and error. I mean, they've been there for a long time. So my
1: answer is actually slightly different, which is I didn't think it was necessarily a prison signing system. I thought it might have been a language that a particular planet used. And so there were two people Mm. from different, you know, on different levels from that same planet. That was my assumption
0: it is interesting and plausible to believe that there is an ESL empire sign language, you know, like that there is a language, (laughs) ISL, imperial sign (laughs) language. Yeah. Thank you. I, yeah. E's eyes, imperial and imperial, like the fact that they're changed the vowel at the beginning. I bet you, why does it do that? I'm just going to tell you,
1: I bet you that Cyril Karn is in charge of the ISL at the Bureau of Standards. (laughs) Just going to say that.
0: (laughs) All right. Next question from Doug. Oh, where do you stand on Luthen's accelerationist philosophy?
1: So I confess.
0: We talked about this in Rogue One. Yeah,
1: I am not a huge fan of it. I I think in my experience, the belief that, oh, if we just cause the bad autocrat to overreact massively, that'll trigger a, you know, uh, an, an uprising that'll bring down the state. I've heard that language way too many times where it doesn't happen to, to be somewhat skeptical of it. But I understand within the context of the show why he wants to do this. And I think it makes the character more interesting. Anna, what about you?
0: I'm an accelerationist. There we go. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. I mean, the beautiful thing about this particular debate in society is that you need both
1: kinds yes. of people. So. I think that is an excellent way of putting it. Yes, that's true. Because I you know I,
0: I, I wish that you could only I, I don't I personally am all for bomb throwing, uh-huh. not lit well, sometimes literally bomb throwing, yeah. You know. But and I in punching fascists, like I'm on board for punching fascists, Nazis. But I also think you need people who are more cautious.
1: Yes. And I will say we know obviously that the accelerationist philosophy is proven correct and within the Star Wars saga, so fair enough there. Although, wait a minute, now that I think about it, I kinda wonder if it hadn't been accelerated, maybe the post-imperial order would have been more stable. You never know; would have been interesting. Okay. All right. So, Dan, <laughs> two spaces, Breden asks, "What do you think of the idea that power doesn't panic? Is disproportionate retaliation a sign of weakness?"
0: Speaking of power, yes. Dan, when I got this script, mm-hmm. I searched and replaced forty double spaces. <laughs> And there will be a single space after a period in our scripts.
1: <laughs> the Bureau of Standards has spoken.
0: That is, I, but I, you didn't
1: panic about it. That's the important listeners thing.
0: Listeners may not know. This has been a lively debate. <laughs> well, to the extent that a debate over this can be lively. Mm-hmm. But Dan is a two spaces kind of guy. And I am a one space person. Because electronics... Have rendered the need for two spaces. You know what? Absolute. Maybe
1: I like the two spaces for aesthetic reasons. On them, did you ever think about it? We that? shall not. Yeah.
0: Dive back into that discussion. We shall, not. we shall not. I. We talked about this before. Power doesn't panic, it, 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 mm. right? I mean, isn't that like sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't? And sometimes
1: it should is the other is the other issue is that I mean I put yeah. this way within the context of the show, Deidre was I mean it's Deidre Miro who says that, and she's probably right. Um, because it, in some ways it does play into the accelerationist philosophy that Luther, I mean, she recognizes what Luther is trying to do there. Um, and so that's a problem.
0: Well, here's what I'll say is like putting it in the terms of panic is actually what gives away – like makes it a loaded yeah. question, makes it a trick question. Yeah. Is does power – how how much does power Does respond? power I
1: retaliate? Mean, yeah.
0: Does power retaliate? I think sometimes an extreme retaliation can work. Yeah. Right, Absolutely. like it, it, can silence people, and to refer yeah. back to people really having to enslave themselves, mm-hmm. that can be that can a work. way of, yeah. of of making people fearful and therefore obedient. However, you push too far, but who knows where the too far is? All right. Oh, just in time! Oh, oh my god! It's a brick with Marva's ashes yes. in it. Yes. Oh god! It's a debris where we talk about the stuff we haven't already talked about. Dan, you go first.
1: I did like there was a, you know, there was a moment that you thought might have been fan servicing where, again, this is where I like Tony Gilroy occasionally messing with us. Where I think it's on Nemo's. you see the X2 droid that, that becomes, you know, that looks like the K2SO droid from Rogue One. And there was a small part of me that was like, oh, no, this is how we, the K2SO droid. Comes into to being. And nope, nope, it's a total fake out. That X2 droid is just nearly kills Cassian. And I did like that playing with, with viewer expectations. I thought that was really sharp.
0: My favorite bit that I wish I'd mentioned earlier is the fact that Bix is tortured by the sounds of torture. Yeah. That's right. True. Yeah. She's tortured by the sounds of genocide, uh, the sound of a, a species dying, being obliterated by the Empire. She comes out of it. Because of music, too. Like, oh. she starts to be revived by what starts as the funeral march. And then I think the chiming of the... The ba- anvil
1: guy, yes, yes. which That was a good anvil point, guy. I like that. Time
0: wrangler, as he's referred ah, okay. to in the Very credits.
1: Okay. There is a cocktail party that Mon Mothma hosts in which, you know, the various senators, like, she's trying to, you know, organize support against Palpatine. And this was, the again, something that felt a little bit too on the nose, where, like, you have someone say, you know, does Palpatine's methods course? Yes, of course. But you know what? He says what he means. And I was like, oh, come on. That was a little much.
0: All he wants to do is build exactly. a wall, Dan.
1: Yeah. yeah. But I am happy that, because I remember saying this in the first episode that we talked about Andor, that I'd hoped that he would never actually appear on the show, or if he did, like, it would be very briefly. And they actually stuck to that, and I was really glad about that. Anna.
0: I loved the Florida of whatever as you called it. I thought that was I, <laughs> Nemos, I think, think it was like yeah. like like Florida under DeSantis, a little repressive there.
1: <laughs> you know what I did like is that you know you you see it like in one episode where it's actually pretty crowded, but I like that by the time he goes back, it's desolate, and I would assume that was a conscious choice to show this is what happens when you go oh. down further. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure. Dan, uh, people may have actually heard a little bit of why I think we should wrap up now. <laughs> Okay. Which is that I know that people appreciate the cameos by the pets on this show, but something has agitated poor Exley here, and I must go investigate. And it is also almost the end of our time together anyway. It is.
1: I've just got to ask, what is in that ISB code of conduct? At one point, like, they say it, like, there's, you know, someone has violated the ISB code of conduct, and I'm like... What is that code of conduct is like how to be lawful evil as opposed to chaotic evil? Like it was just – I want to read the ISP code of conduct. I love
0: that you could not leave that I'm sorry. That is just like the question that like we're trying to wrap up. But no. we
1: go. But yes.
0: Dan has to –
1: I have to ask. Sorry. Yes.
0: Have to ask. That's fine. That's good. This has been really fun. I'm so glad we're going to do the episodes as they come. 12 of them we really will turn into our and or recap show Wow! this is a commitment
1: I'm I'm glad we're going to do this I'll have to
0: put it in the the debris field that I'll send out as soon as we know what our schedule is okay until then
1: keep this channel open for more